Welcome to Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire and enhance your own writing skills. Download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre and I'm so thrilled to bring you this curated series of interviews. You'll hear from picture book authors, chapter book authors, middle grade authors, young adult authors and also from publishers in the children's writing industry. So you'll get a wonderful overview on how to write books for kids and teens. This episode, you'll be hearing from best-selling author Deborah Abella talking with Alison Tate from the Australian Writers' Centre. Deb has written more than 25 books for kids and has an absolute boatload of awards and adoring fans all over the world. Now, Deb had a real baptism of fire starting out as a producer on a kids' TV show. She was writing six scripts a week, every week for a year, and she really learned just to sit down and get the work done. I think this is one of the best lessons any aspiring writer can learn. Like some of the other authors we've spoken to, Deb reached a point where she decided to fearlessly leap into her career as a kids writer. As she tells Alison, even if it meant living off veggie mite sandwiches, she was going to give it a go. Sometimes simply taking the first step and enrolling in a writing course or joining a writing community can be the nudge you need to give your writing a go. It's why we developed the popular introductory course, Writing Chapter Books for Six to Nine-Year-Olds, at the Australian Writers' Centre. Go to writercentre.com.au slash chapter to learn more. That's writercentre.com.au slash chapter. It's perfect if you have the curiosity to explore children's fiction and need to take that first step to pursue your goal. That commitment comes through in everything Deb does, from her popular kids' books to her brilliant presentations. So commit, you commit, to the next 40 minutes or so and enjoy. Deborah Abella is the award-winning, best-selling author of 25 books for children, including popular series such as Ghost Club and Max Remy, picture books such as Wolfie, an unlikely hero, and thoughtful books such as the Grimsden novels and Teresa, a new Australian. In 2016, her book, The Stupendously Spectacular Spelling Bee, which is now available in the US, introduced us to India Wimple, and her latest book, out now in Australia, is the sequel, The Most Marvellous Spelling Bee Mystery. Welcome to the program, Deborah. Oh, hello, Alison. Thank you. All right, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, through the mists mists of time. Um, So you were a writer for Cheese TV, and then your first novels were, your first novel was um, the first Max Remy book. What was the path from TV to novels? I I did a communications degree first and so I knew I wanted to write but wasn't sure how and then I stumbled into this job in television. I worked for a production house called Southern Star and worked mostly on adult drama and then kind of shifted across to Channel 10 and was still doing adult drama but I was in this office and it was very serious, adult drama is very serious and then I kept seeing this woman walk past my office with armloads of toys Easter eggs, um, you know, it just looked very, very exciting, whatever she did. So I kind of tracked her down and said, what do you do? And she said, well, 
I've actually just started this kids show um, and it's only a couple months old and I'm, I want to really, uh, you know, in, you know, I want to grow the show basically and I need an assistant producer. Would you like to do that? And I'd had no experience whatsoever <laughs> in producing, but I thought, oh my gosh, that is it. I've been sort of stumbling towards where I want to go, but I knew adult drama wasn't quite right. But when she said right for kids, I just thought, that's it. That is the thing I want to do. So for about seven years, we wrote and produced and directed um, and and organised wardrobe and flights. And, you know, you do everything when you're the producer um, of Cheese TV. And uh, I think I did stay, so it was about seven years. And you have to, the show went to air six days a week. So you couldn't not come up with an idea. Mm-hmm. So this was brilliant practice for I don't, I know you have nothing in your head right now, but you have to do it because this show can't, you know, not go to air. We can't have, you know, black going to air. So it was a great way of just sitting down and and thinking, I have to come up with something by the end of the session. And so we did six scripts a week, six shows a week um, and every week of the year. So you, we, uh, even Christmas, you know, January, you didn't, yeah. So you pre-recorded shows so you could actually get a holiday. Um, So it just meant your workload (laughs) doubled for a couple of weeks so you could actually go on holiday. So that's sort of how I fell into the kids thing. But while I was writing for kids and realized that, oh, this, I love this. This is really, really exciting. That's when I wrote my first novel, kind of on the quiet, just secretly to see if I could to, if I could actually do it. And it, it mushed together all the things I loved about writing for kids' TV, fast and furious, um, funny, um, but also my love of cartoons because She's TV was a cartoon hosting show. So that, that sort of all came together um, in a spy genre, which was based on my love of Get Smart. And, and, and I wrote it pitched it to about six different publishers, most of whom said no, uh, but one of whom said, in fact, I love it. Can you write more of these? Wow. So you were writing six scripts a week and you also were on the sly whilst you were also <laughs> assistant producing and doing all of those things. You were on <laughs> yes. the sly, you were writing Max Remy. So yeah, how did you fit that in? Like that's a lot of output. I know, but that's what writers do, don't they? We all do it. You just you you squish it in. And you just you. I wrote it. I woke up really really early and wrote for a few hours. Then I went off to work and organised you know, llamas or organised you know, trips do. to the yeah that's right trips to the snow or cameras for you know whatever. Um, and then I come home and before and like like straight as I after I got home I'd work for a couple more hours and then I'd sort of you know maybe see friends or fall into an exhausted heap I was just I just loved it you know I mean you'll know this Alison when you get an idea and it, it won't let you go you can't let it go it didn't kind of feel like extra work like oh now I'm home for work I've got to work again it was um, they were both fun jobs towards the end of cheese tv it just actually became quite exhausting and I mm. and it was kind of fun to leave that sort of conveyor belt of writing for an idea where I could spend like a year or six months on one idea mm. <laughs> rather than have six whole scripts in you know in kind of one week did you so did you go straight from so once Max Romy had been picked up did you go straight from full on here I am six scripts a week very very busy tv job to writing full time is yep. that what you did wow that's a yeah and I interface. <laughs> it was funny and it completely freaked my partner out um so I just knew 
you know, when you get that first shot, like someone signed me up and, and you know, and um, the wonderful Lindsay Knight, who was at Random House at the time, signed me up. And I thought, I can't blow this. This mm-hmm. doesn't happen very often. or it, it, it certainly, and In fact, it's never happened to me. No one's finally said, you know, yes, I love your book. So I knew I had to actually dedicate myself to writing and I gave myself two years and thought I will live on Vegemite sandwiches and, and you know, and but, but if I don't treat this seriously, I'm going to blow it. And that sort of scared me more than anything, that I'd be given this amazing opportunity, a, a, a publisher would have faith in me and I'd, I'd squeeze it in. I thought, no, 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 this has to be the main thing mm-hmm. and everything else has to now squeeze around it, I, at least for a little while. If in two years' time I'm still – you know, eating veggie sandwiches, sandwiches uh, then I have to reassess. Okay. So you essentially followed the Easter eggs into a new career is what you say. Indeed, I followed the shiny foil. <laughs> I like it. There's, you know, there's worse things to follow. It's really. I think so too. So looking back on that and with that sort of background, do you think that writing for TV set you up for writing for children in in a lot of ways like as you say you have to come up with an idea or do you think yep. sometimes all of those ideas is actually just really hard to manage when you're only when you're doing a book as opposed to like television well it's very different writing and in fact that was one thing i enjoyed about writing novels it was a, a different way of writing where you could put much more kind of thought and energy and time literally time into it but the the few things that it really taught me was yeah just sit down and do it mm. stop talking about it just sit down because this has to happen you know crews are organized you know flights cars actors you know props guests are organized you need to present something to all these people waiting for you, right? Um, and the other thing it taught me was because it was um, it was television, kids would email every single day and say, that was rubbish, don't do that again, or wow, that was funny, or how come you haven't done this for a while, or why didn't you do this? And, and so straight away you'd get feedback about how terrible you were doing or what they wanted more of. So this was the feedback because, of course, we don't get that while we're in the middle of a novel. I mean, your editors or your lovely partners or your kids will say how much they love it. But this was good, honest-to-goodness, straight-talking kind of feedback. Mm, Feedback. And that was great training for, okay, that doesn't work. My adult self thinks that's funny, but my, you know, obviously kids don't find that very funny. So, so how do you manage that though, when you're writing a novel and you're not getting that feedback? Are you having to, you're, have you kind of got yourself, are you into that position in your head where you can go, you know what, I'd get an email about this. I'm not going (laughs) to. Look, I, I'd like to think I'm a little bit better at it, um, at, at kind of gauging, actually that's, that's my adult self thinking. That's funny, um, but also I think as I've 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 continued writing too, I in fact I don't think too much about the audience. Um, I think more about the character and being true to the character and what would be the most exciting thing that this character could do next. Or did you, so it actually becomes um, yeah less about the audience. And I, I remember hearing Marcus Zusak once being asked a question about you know his audience, and he said, "Oh no, I never." I don't think of the audience. That's the, the, the furthest kind of point from my head. Um, and I don't know if he'd say it now, but he says my main obligation is to my story and to my characters and being true to them. And I, so yeah, having written a couple of books now, I, I, that, I feel that to actually be more true. Hmm. 
So what's your writing process then? You know, now that you, you know, you obviously work full time as a writer, do you write every day? I try to write every day. Yep. And um, when I'm in the middle of a project, of course, that's easier. When um, I've just handed something in, I do actually deliberately take a break where I don't do anything. So I'll just give myself, uh, you know, it's letting the, the fields lie fallow for a little while. Um, <laughs> Moving the corn. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, and, uh, and that way too, I find that ideas more naturally bubble up than me sort of trying to kind of, you know, shuffle them into a space. Because I find early days in a book, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to shuffle ideas together. Whereas if I really let it um, just kind of grow, it's it's more like the characters take over and the story takes over. I don't know if that's how you feel when you are in that part of your process of writing. But um, I know a novel is working or the story is working when the characters do, in fact, seem to start to take over. Yeah, I think it's. I, I think you feel like you've hit the sweet spot of of your the stories unfolding as it's meant to unfold, as yes. opposed to you mixing and matching and trying to yeah. push things along. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Do yeah. you when you sit down to write? Do you have a? Is it a? Uh, you know, do you have a routine? Do you? Is it a cup of tea in the morning and then you sort of go, <laughs> oh, I'm going to do a thousand words, or is it I'll just write for an hour, or you know what? Is there an actual routine involved? Yeah, I get up and wash my face and then do yoga. Um, and literally because it, it wakes me up. So I've got, we've got an attic, uh, in the house, uh, that's where my partner and I both work and it's nice and light and big and carpeted. And so I do some yoga stretching and stuff and I'm literally then awake and ready with a cup of tea and off I go. So I try to be at my desk writing by six. Um, and, uh, be, only because I, I, I don't write at night very well. I, um, I can do it and I have done it, but mornings are, are way better for my brain. And then if I'm at the beginning of a project, so my focus and my concentration isn't as good yet. Um, I do the Pomodoro method. Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just literally sit down, time it so that for this stretch of time, I'm not allowed to do anything else other than write. And then when that time's up, I can grab a cup of tea again or go to the bathroom or or whatever. Um, I try also not to do any, not to look at the internet at all until midday mm. because then you can't fall down that rabbit hole <laughs> of, well, just quickly respond to my friends who asked me to a party this weekend. And then that becomes a whole chat about a whole other world. And then half an hour later, you get back to your writing. So, um, there, so I'm much sort of uh, more strict with myself early days into a project. And then as the project, as I get into it, I find I don't have to do that stuff. I, I just do it by, by natural excitement for the, for the book. And with your Pomodoro, do you do 30-minute bursts or do you do an hour or how do you, how do you split so the time it, up? Yeah, again, early days when I'm just starting, it'll be more like a half an hour and then uh, it'll be more like 40 minutes and then an hour and then often I get to the point where I I don't need it. I'll I'll just forget to even turn the timer on. And are you only ever working on one project at a time or are you someone who flits between different projects and or has lots of different – like what do you – like let's imagine you're working on something right now um, and you have this genius idea for some other (laughs) thing because, of course, they always look so much more genius than whatever it is that you're doing. (laughs) What do you do with said genius idea? Do you (laughs) – do you follow it like the Easter egg foil, or do you do you not? That is that is so true. Uh, often I just think, oh, this piece, this thing I'm working on is a 
basic garbage, but I've got this other brilliant idea. And so yeah, I do. I make time and I'll, I'll bang it out in whatever way, uh, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a book or, a, or if I'm at the computer, I'll literally bang out a document, save it, um, put it on the desktop to remind myself later, oh, that's that, that genius idea I had earlier, um, and then going on, on the, the, the less genius idea yeah. that needs work. Yeah. Okay. And then you can come back to the genius idea later. Yeah, that's um, right. And how long does it take you to write a book? I, I'm really slow. I'm I more and more as as I write, I I'm actually putting more attention into the synopses and to the research and getting prepared for it because then I find the story writes itself a little more easily whereas once upon a time I'd have a meager kind of synopsis and you know character ideas and breakdowns and stuff um and then get into it I I I do actually write a chapter breakdown as well and I think that's from my TV days from my TV drama days where you did scene breakdowns um and I even if it's just a line chapter one you know, Xavier breaks into a house, meets the kids of Grimston. Chapter two, they take him on it. What do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I just and one, it keeps me on track. It's like a little metronome. And two, it makes sure that I have those beats in a novel where you're building up to, you know, either the, whatever language people use for it, but the first turning point, second turning point, my three acts are there, my, you know, everything to make sure everything is headed towards the climax. Right. And that I haven't put an extraneous scene in, and even even for the novel that just came out, um, the um, the most marvelous spelling bee, um, there was a chapter in there that I loved because it had such a beautiful moment between India Wimple and her grandma. And even early days, my editor said, "Not too sure about this chapter and kind of how it flows." And I said, "Oh, I'll rework it. Don't worry." And so every single draft, you know, uh, hopefully the novel was getting a bit better, and I would rework that chapter until. In the final workings of this book, I thought, you know what needs to happen to that chapter? <laughs> yeah, it needs to go. Oh. It just needs to get cut. And I was keeping it because of that lovely moment for the character. But it wasn't – it was actually getting in the way of the story. It wasn't doing that lovely thing of being there for a reason and I needed it to lead me to my climax. And so by grandma – I mean, I didn't get it rid of grandma, but I certainly got rid of that scene. And – that just takes it takes time, but also it's that killing your darlings thing, isn't it? Yes. Getting these lovely moments that you know are lovely, but the book doesn't need it. But it does take you, as you say, you know, you you hang on to them for draft <laughs> after draft after draft, trying to <laughs> trying to kid yourself into the fact that it's really it's going to work, it's going to be great. Yeah. Don't worry, it's going to yeah. work. And then you eventually come to the point where you go, you know what? I just yep. have to, it's got to die. Got to go. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> it's true. Oh, well. And oh. then it's tighter. You, as soon as, very often when I do this, I've done it even with characters, very often the second after I do it, I think, oh, yeah, that works much better. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, um, do you always know exactly, because you've written for a couple of different age groups, do you know exactly which age group you're writing for before you begin? Like, do you plan that or is it something that sort of unfolds a bit as you start to write? I think unfolds a bit, Yeah. And um, I like I mainly sort of write for eight to twelve, but it feels like my books kind of skew more like they might just go seven to eleven, or they might go more like eight to thirteen. Mm. You know, so they sort of roughly hang 
in that main group, but but they are different. A, a book that then involves a seven-year-old is different to a book that is kind of hedging up towards a thirteen-year-old, of course. And do you have a do you have a word count in your mind before you begin? Like, are you aiming for a certain, you know, are you aiming at the forty to forty-five or the fifty to fifty-five? Like, do you have an idea of how you know kind of complex this is going to be before you start? Yeah, I do. And um, the spelling bee books though were commissioned to be thirty. Mm. Um, they, they are more because I do get carried away. Um, and so that that's what I needed to deliver or at least have as a ballpark. Um, for some reason, all my other novels are 46,000 words. 46, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, I do <laughs> it's like, I you know, it. I'll get to the end of a novel, I'll get to the end of, you know, 10 drafts or whatever and think, yeah, I think I'm done. Word count, 46. I don't know why. I don't know if it's in my head. I, I'm not, anyway. That's roughly. And that's the kind of writer I am. You're getting forty six, unless you definitely want thirty. Then I'll give you thirty. <laughs> you can have whatever you want. Um, <laughs> True. When you're um, when you're thinking up your next idea, do you, do you have any sense of having to follow on from what you've already done? So not because you've you've written twenty five books. So I'm not talking about necessarily sequels, which we will yep. get to in a minute. But as <laughs> in the idea of children looking for a Deborah Abella book, like have you got? Is that yeah. a thing? It. it I. <sighs> Because what I really, of course, just truly want to do and what I truly want to advise authors to is write with your heart out in front, right? Go with that idea that you dream about, you wake up, you think about the, with the characters who won't leave you alone. But it is, you know, it's after a while, kids do recognize you as, you know, a particular author with a particular kind of book. And and even though my books might look sort of different, uh, they're for me, they're all about kids trying to, you know, make their mark and facing these kind of impossible tasks and having to kind of stand up and realising they actually can stand up. And um, But I, that is a consideration. Who, who, what do I pitch next as Deborah Bella? Mm. Um, and, and so, and I guess that's why sometimes authors, of course, change names if they're bringing out a vastly different book. Mm. Um, and, and I get that. I, I really understand why authors do that. But, that it is absolutely a consideration what Deborah Bella book is going to be next, yeah. Yeah, it becomes part of, I mean, you know, whichever way you look at it, you at some point become a brand, don't you, in the sense of people so, are looking at the bookshelf and it's like, oh, well, I have an idea of what to expect from Deborah, so, you know, that's what we'll go so. for, yeah. Yeah, um, and when, when you don't have a marketing brain especially, it's also a tough one, um, but, but I get it. I get when people pick up one of my books and if they've read books before I kind of get oh because I do it if I pick up an author who I've loved and then I pick up their latest book I'm kind of looking for that same lovely feeling even though even if it's a totally different story I want to be in their their good authorial hands again Mm, very true well speaking of good authorial hands the stupendously (laughs) spectacular did you like my segue there are you proud (laughs) that was a nice segue you're professional look at me go um, the stupendously spectacular spelling bee has been stupendously successful here in Australia, and of course, is now off to the US, which is very exciting. Did you have a sequel in mind the whole time, or is that something that's developed as the book has been so well received? Oh, no idea there was going to be a sequel. And um, I mean, the spelling bee is about a very shy, reluctant, anxiety riddled kind of kid whose whole country town and beautiful family encourage it into a spelling bee. At the end, we find out who wins. The end. 
<laughs> that's it, right? That's right. it. And so I um, I remember I, I work at a school uh, one day a week in the library. And in fact, I, I that so I'm not a full time author, of course, because I always forget about that little job. But I've been doing it ever since I left ten, just to still be with kids and still be you know in a library with books and stuff. And um, I was there one day, and these two little girls, uh, Mia and Emma, came up to me and said. Oh, we've just read this stupendously spectacular spelling bee. It's great. What's going to happen in the next one? And I just looked at them and said, "Oh, there's not going to be a next one. We know who won. That's the end of the story. What what could I possibly write about in a sequel?" And they looked at me like I was the least smart adult they'd ever met in their life. And said, um, the international competition. Of course, what were you I know thinking? that's what I. I know. I thought of, and I said to them. Oh my gosh, that's genius! Um, what do you think could happen? And then they literally went away and came back with an A4 piece of paper. They'd really thought about it, this and this, and the characters they could meet and the, the, the skullduggery that could happen. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take this to my publisher and see what she says. And luckily, um, uh, Zoe Walton from uh, Random really loved it and and um, signed it up. So it was <laughs> thanks, thanks to Emma and Mia, and and you know because I'm not very smart, obviously, and they are. So that's how it came about. And you know, and even though there wasn't supposed to be a sequel, I i mean, you know, anyone who writes, you fall in love with your characters and this is a particularly loving, lovable, gorgeous, quirky family and it was so nice to hang out with them again. I miss them. I realised when I when I was then, you know, the Random House said yes and it was signed up, I realised, oh, goody, I get to hang out with these people again. So it was really fun but, yeah, no, th- uh, it's only here because of Emma and Mia. That's hilarious. So thanks to Emma and Mia and their fabulous plotting, what can we actually expect from India this time? Like, I mean, because you've done a huge, there was a huge character growth within that first book. You know, yeah. what do you, where do you go from, from that point, you know, in the sense of, because of course it is a, you know, it's a, yeah. as most books are, it's a character driven story. And so, you know, she's had a huge amount of growth and now she has to, what, grow again like what do you do with her? exactly that was the thing because she literally went from being so horribly terribly anxious in the first book and that that actually did come about with my work over with kids over the years and I've noticed anxiety creeping into so many kids lives and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna do this because I've seen really capable beautiful amazing kids be kind of swamped by this nervousness and anxiety and so I thought I, that is one thing I do want to put in this book um but by the end she actually does learn to kind of go actually India she's got this voice inside her head who's that's always really negative and terrible and at the end it kind of shuts up and goes away because she kind of does literally stand up so what happens in a sequel and so the mechanics are there they get invited the top three spellers from around the world get invited to the international competition in London um which meant that I could take my top three characters from the book spelling bee um contestants from the book uh, to London which was fun but then it had to be about something else. And mm-hmm. so in this one, the, there is a mystery. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, the spelling bee goes ahead. There are new characters to meet um, with their own trials and tribulations. There, There's some bullying that happens uh, with some other contestants. And with one of them, it's with other kids. With one of them, it's with a parent mm-hmm. um, that, that goes on. And um, so there's, there's other different, I hope, interesting character um, arcs going on there too. But what brings them all together is there is this skullduggery afoot um, and uh, these series of accidents happen at the bee and in the end the bee gets cancelled because it just it's considered too dangerous to go on. But the kids smell a rat. So it's up to them to then dis- discover 
what's going why on. it is yeah so you broaden the story basically you take it from a very personal growth story into a much larger broader platform basically yeah yeah, yeah. and whereas the first one's kind of about India really needing to trust herself because her whole entire gorgeous country town trusts her and she just has to find it within herself. This is more about this group of kids needing to come together and, and work on this kind of as a team. And and for some of these kids, uh, one kid in particular who's been bullied, he doesn't have friends, uh, you know, in his home and his um, country where he's from. And so this is another moment for him to kind of shine in a way he doesn't normally in his own world. And so, yeah, they all have to come together and do it as a group. Okay. It's just interesting to see because it, it, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, when you haven't necessarily got that in your head right from the start and you're uh-huh. faced with that issue of what do you do with this with this thing, it's it's um it's interesting. And as you say, broadening it out gives you so much more scope of what to do and where to go next, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so you're very, very active in the children's literature community, even winning the Morris Saxby Award for services to children's literature. Do you feel that the job of a children's author is not just to write stories but to get out there and foster that love of reading definitely mm. uh, and 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 some for some people it, it does suit them and so you know people need to play to their strengths and and do what makes them happy um absolutely and i i think um and because of uh, you know some of my books are you know kind of a bit adventurous and daring do and um i particularly enjoy um standing in front of um either mixed audiences or boy audiences and and saying yeah i'm a girl but you know, here's my really exciting story that hopefully you'll like because there's swashbuckling and sword fighting and, you know, whatever. I genuinely believe that kids love stories, um, but we know that there's reluctant readers out there. We know that there are kids out there with not one book in their home. Um, So when they're at school, particularly in primary school, I think it's all of our jobs uh, for those of us who kind of either write for kids or parents, aunts, uncles, whatever, to try and get them while they're young to have a love of, of books because I think it's there. They just either haven't found the right book yet or they think books are daggy because they haven't, you know, again, found the right book yet. So I adore it. I I just, I love it. Whenever um, like I've had moments, well, any author who's been to a school has had moments where you've thought, well, this is going to be tough. And um, there was one time, for example, I was in um, Alice Springs and about to, you know, launch into a session and I had this little boy enter the room, walk up the middle of the aisle. He was the only one in the room at that point. Um, and he stood right in front of me and said, hi, my name's Jason. I'm always in trouble and I hate books. And then- <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Then he sat down right in front of me and I thought, and all I could think of, I tried so hard not to laugh because it was so honest. It was so honest. Um, But I thought, all I thought at that second was I've got an hour and in that hour, my sole job (laughs) is I'm going to make you maybe at least consider perhaps the possibility that stories might be fun and you might borrow a book from your library one day. And um, and, and I, that every time I walk into a room, I think that's my job. I need to walk in like I've never told these stories before. Um, um, and, I've, I, you know, I've had teachers say, wow, you get so passionate about it. And I just think, well, what's not to get passionate about? This is, you know, we've got these kids kind of future in our hands. And I think some it is as big as that. If we, if we create passionate readers, um, we are setting them on such a good path to whatever they choose to do later. 
you well, you're actually really well known for your excellent presentations. Like it's something that you know you obviously you do a lot and you do really really well. How do you prepare for them? Like, are you do you just have the same thing that you roll out every single place you go? Do you have a selection of different workshops that you do? Like, what what kinds of things? Like, what's the key to doing a great presentation? I um so it depends on the school. I think you have to keep it a bit fresh too to keep for yourself. Mm. I think for preservation as well. Mm. So. Um, and I, I know authors who've said, you know, I got halfway through a presentation and realized I was bored. And, and very often at that point in their career, they take a break mm. from presenting and they come back. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's good for them and, um, probably for their kids as well. But I, so I always prepare, um, and like, uh, you know, any teaching you do, I, so I've done a lot of workshops, of course. I have a whole bunch of things now I can do that you gather over the years, you trial stuff. If it works, you keep it. If it doesn't work, you, you throw it away. Um, so there, and I, there's, and I think as you, as you do it a bit more, too, you get your confidence builds. That even if I if I'm in the middle of something, that even if it worked yesterday, but today is totally bombing, I'm I'm confident enough now that I can kind of quickly wrap it up and then we'll, and move on to something else. Um, and I always overplan because that's important, just in case. Well, one, they might get through what you want to do with them quite quickly but two yeah it may not work for this group you may be doing something that they're, they're not quite enjoying enough so the, the the key to a good presentation is I think enjoy the kids mm. a, a couple of things prepare really prepare know your audience do all that lovely checking first of how many kids am I going to talk to uh chat with the teachers or the librarian so that they're getting you know, you're giving them what they hope they, they're going to get. Um, so do all that preparation, even to the point of where, where can I park? Uh, will I have AV? If it's a big hall, can I have a microphone? Because by the end of the day, my voice is going to be, you know, cactus. Um, so do all that logistical planning. Do I need to bring lunch? You know, <laughs> where's the best way to enter the school? Because, you know, how sometimes there'll be five different entrances for the school, but you can't go in that because it's for the parents and whatever. So do all that practical stuff, but um, prepare than what you're going to talk about. And even though I have done it for a while, I always have a point from somewhere nearby. So I'll have a book with, I'm going to start with this and then tell that story, then I'm going to show this AV, whatever. Mm. Um, And I I may never look at it, but it's almost like, just feels like a little security blanket so that if I do have a blank because I'm tired or whatever, I can just sneakily look at it. Um, uh, and, And Enjoy the kids. I can't stress that enough. They're, if you walk in and you're smiling, um, often while they're coming in, I'll chat to them and say, wow, great glasses because I have a, I very often have glasses envy. Um, <laughs> or, or I overhear them say something and say, yeah, I watched that movie too. Wasn't it great? So, so you become a human being and a real person before you know that the, the session even starts. Um, I do things too like I'll listen out for you know teachers if they say things like, Jack, if you – play up during this session, blah, 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 and they tell Jack off. And then at the first chance I get, I try and get a Jack. Jack <laughs> say something nice to Jack. <laughs> I try to say, um, Jack, I bet you'd have a great idea for that, wouldn't you? So I try if, if, as soon as I can to try and build Jack up because Jack's just been kind of torn down mm. and I haven't even been able to say anything yet. So Jack's probably sitting there going, stupid author session, why am I even here? And I just think, okay, as quickly as I can, I, I'm going to try and see if I can, can get Jack, you know, to think, oh, no, this actually might be okay. So I think that my big tips, mix it up if you can. Um, I mean, having said that, I've sat in sessions where authors have just spoken for an hour and I've been transfixed. So if you can do that, 
brilliant. I think the younger the audience, that's tougher to do. Mm, Um, I think with high school audiences, you can do it. And I think that is fine. I've seen, oh my gosh, I've seen so many YA authors and, and literally there's been a mic and them and a story for the whole time. And it's been genius. But for me, because I mainly do, uh, I do kind of kindergarten through to six. I mainly do primary school. Um, the little ones, I get them moving. I get it's very interactive. But the sort of year three to year six, I'll mix it up, tell a story, ask questions, um, show a video, have a PowerPoint. I would, I'll try as much as I can to kind of mix it up. Mm, okay. So, do you think that face to face works best for children's authors when it comes to you know building that platform, getting the word out about their books? Like, do you do any other sorts of promotion as well? Um, I, I do. So, yeah, the odd festival um, and PD sessions. I really love doing professional development sessions with teacher librarians mm. um, and because I find um, a lot of teachers, of course, aren't authors, um, even though you do meet aspiring authors. Um, and so they're at a bit of a loss of, you know, I, I mean, some teachers, I've met teachers who don't read, so <laughs> and then they have to teach kids to write. So. I love going in. I've got this um, 20 page handout that I've kind of built up over the years and I just give it away. And so I'll go to PD sessions, talk them through activities that I've done, and I invite them, you know, please mix this up, use a different uh, stimulus, uh, whatever works for you and your kids. But if you're passionate about this, if you, if you base this sort of activity on your favorite book that you're reading now or your favorite book as a kid, then hopefully that passion will kind of rub off. So I love doing those kind of sessions as well. Mm, okay. All right. So we're going to finish up today with um, our final, final, final question, which of <laughs> course is always our final, final question, the infamous <laughs> Can you please give us your three top tips for authors? Yeah. Um, I mean, there are, of course, there are a lot of tips, but the, the first one is really is to put your heart in front. Go with that idea you love. Um, of course, what you love may not be what a publisher thinks they can sell, what the sales departments think will sell in bulk, uh, but I think it's really, really important to be, to be led by your heart. I've seen... I think I've seen too many authors along the way um, do both things. Like do, I'm going to write this book because these are really selling right now and it doesn't work because their heart's not with them. But I've seen other authors go, you know what, I don't know if this will sell, but I really desperately want to write this story. And in some cases, it's been their most successful work. And I think because the reader can literally almost hear their beating heart as they as they turn the pages. Um, so that would be my number one Um read as much as you can. I mean, I, I don't think these are unique, these tips, but I think they're tried and true. And read as many kids' books as you can. I've I've met kids' authors who don't read kids' books. And um, some have said I don't read it because I don't want to copy and um, even sort of accidentally and subconsciously copy, and I get that. Um, or they don't read in their genre. They largely write a particular genre, so they never read that. Um, but I'm, I just – I. I'm obsessed and I love it and I, I, I can't wait to read the next kid's book and see what did they do and how did they do it and you know, how are they so brilliant and, um, and, and just write as much as you can, fiddle and play and play. That's the thing too. I, one um, author I met a little while ago, they were commissioned, they handed in this book and, you know, there was a back and forth going on with editorial and then the, the, the publisher finally said, you know what is missing? I, I, 
can't feel the joy in this. And she said that would actually be my ultimate editorial comment. And the, the author knew exactly what they were talking about because they were kind of going, I have to get this right and why isn't it getting right? And she realized she'd put so much kind of pressure on her. She actually, she'd forgotten <laughs> to be joyful about this thing. And yes, there's pressure. We know it. There's pressure. Will this book even sell? And if it doesn't sell, will I sign up anything else I ever do? Because, well, that didn't sell as well as, you know, the other books for other authors. But you've got to, push that away, push push insecurity away, push that voice in your head that says, this is rubbish, why would anyone read this? And, you know, try as much as you can to block all of that out and just have a good time with your characters and remember the reason <laughs> that you got excited about this idea that it may have appeared as a genius idea one day while you're in a project. <laughs> like, you know, go back to that initial, <gasps> you know, gasping kind of wonderment at this idea and, and try and stick to that as, you know, as hard as it is uh, some days. Try and always kind of find it. Fantastic. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time today, Deborah. It's been a wonderful chat. Um, really, really appreciate it. And, um, of course, the most marvellous spelling bee mystery is out now for uh, middle grade readers of Australia. And the stupendously spectacular spelling bee is out now for the middle grade readers of, in the US, which is very exciting. And uh, <laughs> we hope that India, you know, takes over the world. <laughs> funny well you know she's not as shy anymore I don't think world dominations in her uh, in her remit but uh, thank you so much Alison it's been really really fun I hope you enjoyed the interview I'm Alison Tate also known as A.L. Tate and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series the Mapmaker Chronicles and the Adaban Cipher my books are available in Australia, the US, the UK and other territories and are perfect for young readers aged 9 or older. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. Wow, what a powerhouse. I think Deb was so brave when that first opportunity came along to just commit to her writing career completely. Okay, not everyone can quit their jobs just like that. That's definitely a big deal. But there are other ways to prove your commitment to your writing. Maybe you watch less Netflix or wake up half an hour earlier, just half an hour or even just 20 minutes. At some point, you need to make a sacrifice, but maybe not eating Vegemite sandwiches every day. Although I did have a period where I just ate pasta and canned peeled tomatoes. Because of her television background, Deb is quite organised with her writing. She does her research and chapter breakdowns early on so that the writing comes more easily. It also helps with the structure of the story. She brings that same sort of preparation to her school visits. I thought it was great how Deb doesn't overlook the really practical stuff like, you know, where do you park? Is there lunch? These are important questions. There's nothing more stressful than driving up and down a busy street trying to figure out how to get into the school, particularly when you're about to talk to a bunch of kids or teens. Be prepared, folks, and always know where your next meal is coming from. <laughs> if you want to connect with me personally, just reach out on Instagram or Facebook. I'm Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Instagram. But most of my posts on Insta are about my art, or just head on over to our regular podcast group on Facebook and connect with me there. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free. See you in the group. <laughs>